Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Time We Woke Up in a Podcast and Had to Explain Manga, our heated adventures overanalyzing manga that we find interesting, otherwise known as the Over Manga Cast. And for the last time, we are in our increasingly misnamed Revisit Month as we are going back, you might even say like a spinning wheel, back into Kill Six Billion Demons by Tom Parkinson Morgan, also known as Abaddon. This week, we read book two, The Wielder of Names. If you haven't listened to our previous episode on this product, then turn the culpa back to the seventh episode of the Overmanga cast. Or don't, time is meaningless, there are no beginnings, and let's get into the show. Hello everyone, welcome back once again to the Overmanga cast. My name is Sam, and as always here at the top of the episode, we discuss our familiarity with the franchise. But again, this is uh, our increasingly misnamed revisit month. So uh, this is Kill Six Billion Demons. And y'all already know from last time, I love this webcomic. I have read it like five times. Uh, being here with my fellows is like the sixth uh, reread. And uh, I'm staying current with it at all times. And so uh, I, I would put a quip here about the latest page, but that would be spoilers. So, uh, Jacob. My familiarity, I made a point of, um, because of our reading schedule last time, I did a lot more skimming than I wanted to. And I, have, I haven't had the chance to go through all of the liturgy again, but I made a point of actually not reading it for the podcast, but actually paying attention, you know, like pay, like paying more granular attention. When I actually got to the new stuff we're doing today, um, I had a better understanding of um, the series as a whole, but uh, I've only uh, gotten as far as we've uh, read in this section. How about you, Jay? So if you'll recall in our last episode, I revealed that I had no familiarity with this series at all until Sam quite excitedly um, encourage us to read it. So, yeah, I've only read as far as we have read for this episode. And Matt. Same boat as uh, Jay here. Uh, I've only read it for this um, podcast. We far eclipsed where I got to the first time I read it by a magnitude of 10, I think, at this point. And in respect to the physical editions of this comic that don't seem to think the liturgy is important for people to read, I have continued not reading it. <laughs> Uh, things are staying consistent. That's good. <laughs> uh, so we are on book two, The Wielder of Names. Last time, you might remember that our heroine, Allison, had uh, resolved to return to the world of madness that existed in the greater wheel of the cosmos and dropped down at a bar surrounded by some demons. We don't pick up there. We pick up with another character that we followed last time, 82 White Chain, who is currently being reprimanded by teacher for being a bad angel. Can we just stop and examine that 82 White Chain would be an amazing rap name? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You're right. It is. (laughs) This section, we get a lot more on the context of White Chain, like how that character actually works. Because we're also given some more details about how the principal beings of the universe were created. Specifically, what we're given in this this opening scene in particular is explicitly mentioning something and like detailing something that was implied previously, the idea that the situation that Throne has uh, gotten itself into, according to most of the angels, 
is completely untenable. The place is a mess. And really trying to like maintain the old law the way that White Chain obsessively was is, according to his teacher, completely pointless. And the place just needs a full purge. Mm hmm. And that teacher is to Michael, the only remaining prime angel, one of the first ones that were made. And all the others got their asses beat by Zoss during the first conquest. So kind of explains why Michael is the only one here. Hmm. And he doesn't have a very good opinion of uh, mortals, of mortality. Of really anyone besides the besides specifically the prime angels in particular. One of the things that always got me about to Michael is uh, there's a certain level of hypocrisy because one of the things that to Michael uh, castigates white chain for is uh, becoming more human. Like he says, take off your helmet, show me your true face. And, you know, white chain pulls the, the top half of their stone face off and the white fire inside forms into what white chain truly looks like. And it is a human looking face with very big hair uh, that is coated in eyeballs. And to Michael says, ah, so disgustingly human, so very close to them and falling prey to their weaknesses, to insipid gender. It's like, dude, you insist on calling every angel brother and using he pronouns? Yeah. Far be it for me to agree with two Michael on anything, but I, I got to step in. I do prefer my angels to be nothing at all human. Ugh, how disgustingly human these angels are. Give me my wheels of fire full of eyes and wings. That's what I want. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, we do get a few. We do get some of those. Yeah, we do get those. The other thing that I can't help but notice the hypocrisy and not just the idea of like the way that like he's approaching gender because it's like you could relatively easily read and like this is obviously the way he thinks about it where it's like masculine pronouns are the default so that is you know less human or whatever he sees himself as being like above humanity but like the way he acts is very petty the way he acts is very you know arrogant and sweeping everything away the way the demiurges do it's shockingly petty and short-sighted for an immortal being and that's something that is a through line that I noticed was very strongly emphasized throughout this section of the like the level of hypocrisy that exists all through, not just thrown, um, not just it's like, you know, we're, we're basically in three places. We're in throne, we're in the void and we're in the uh, dominion of um, modem. Modem. I I knew it started with an M, <laughs> um, but uh, I saw Metatron on the uh, list because we'll meet that character a little bit later. <laughs> that uh, scrambled my brain for a second. As Metatron is wont to do. Fair. So, um, you know, we have Throne, we have the Void, and we have Modem's Domain. And, like, these three places are, like, these extra planar, like, higher level sorts of um, places, higher spirituality and, like, greater beings exist there than mortals can comprehend. And yet, like, the level of hypocrisy that runs so deeply through all of it mm -hmm. is just so, it's so consistent. It's grating. You see it and it, like, slaps you in the face. You're like, how are any of you this have your heads this far up your own asses, mm. which I think is a direct quote from Allison. <laughs> <laughs>
White Chain is banished into the void by having their physical armor shell busted, which catapults their spirit back there. And uh, we are introduced to Best Grandpa. Ten Vigilant Gaze purges the horizon, who greets White Chain with a mighty, Ho there! <laughs> we don't see much of Vigilant Gaze in this book, but he, uh, at least in, these, in the early parts of this book, but uh, he is great. Uh, I love him. He shows up later and he is absolutely delightful. Uh, we also meet this asshole with Juggernaut Star, who admittedly does have the most metal design out of every character because uh, they are a giant spiky skeleton riding on a motorcycle of fire and stone with with the spokes of the wheels made out of the skeletons of sinners. Labeled as such. Uh-huh. Like if you uh, combine Ghost Rider with a tab of acid. Yeah. <laughs> and Juggernaut Star is just here to be incredibly violent and very angry, but we'll get back to that in a minute because we have we do have to find out what allison is up to yep best part um, at this point we do pick up almost exactly where we left off last time we see her walking inside the building she had appeared outside of slamming her arm on the table and saying get me a drink she needs one after a while she's like been through i don't blame her at all. any point that was the most relatable point of this in this entire series to me i'm just like yep me too <laughs> Currently, what she's been through is she went back to her apartment and then teleported into the void. This has actually been the lowest stake she's been at in the story so far. I'm just saying her entire, but she's still processing all the shit she's had to experience. And just be like, still not making any sense. Give me a drink. I mean, she did try and process it with her sorority sisters who did not give her the time of day about it. Yep. So. Yep. Fair. Yep. Who should appear, but everyone's favorite tiny little gremlin, C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. Not my favorite tiny little gremlin. She is my favorite tiny little gremlin. <laughs> yeah, she's looking very snazzy in her casual outfit. Mm-hmm. Walking up to Allison like, all right, dumbass, you need a guide. Thankfully for you, I'm a fan fiction writer. Let's go. <laughs> we are saved. <laughs> we all the fan fiction writers. <laughs> The most powerful force in all the seven universes or 7,777, how many universes yeah. it is. I see you're in an established relationship already. I'm just going to ignore that and do whatever I want. Yes. <laughs> like a fan fiction writer. What's your profession? Oh, I'm a barista. No, that's boring. You're a farm girl. Yeah, farm girl. <laughs> uh, we need to get you a new love interest. Maybe another woman. <laughs> <laughs> like a fan yeah. fiction writer. Gotta love it. The thing I really enjoy here is that CO is uh, preparing for like the classic hero's journey as she and Allison are sitting down with their drinks. And uh, Allison's like, okay, look, I really don't have time for whatever it is you're coming up with. I just need to find Zade and get out of here. CO's like, oh, well, the Demiurge just took him and uh, Modem's palace is like right over there. She probably knows, but you're you're way too low level to go and deal with her right now. We got to get you trained up. We got to get you a new sword. And Allison turns to look at Modem's palace floating through the void. I'm going up there. I'm I'm a rush the boss. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Allison looked directly at the audience and you're like, what do you mean this traditional plot structure? I'll have you know the first book of my adventure was a complex web of nonsense no one could escape from. <laughs> I spit in your traditional idea of storytelling. Well, and I mean, like, it, it really is very much that. Like, I love Allison in this particular section because she almost literally looks at the author and says, 
screw that i'm getting this over with faster <laughs> like like the, the level of done she is with everything that's going on is so spectacular we get some marvelous coisms as she calls allison an idiot in various colorful ways abjectly refuses to take her up to the resplendent palace there i'm not going in there to die and i'm certainly not going to take you there to die either that's idiotic and allison says all right there's a whole bunch of devils in this bar right not take me up there who wants to take me up there guys yeah hey open contract <laughs> offer who wants to take me up there <laughs> which of course and like and to a large extent, we as the audience don't know the details quite yet, but like she has no idea what the what a devil contract really means at this point. It is mm -hmm. a contract. Yeah. With all that all that implied weight that, you know, other people of other fandoms are fully aware of. This particular book is subtitled Wielder of Names. Uh, I prefer to subtitle it as Allison makes every wrong decision in rapid succession. <laughs> Because uh, making an open contract offer to a bunch of devils does result in a lot of offers. It's like, I'll take you up there for a few of your teeth. I'll take you up there for your left toe. And then this uh, ratty little uh, grandpa man with a big beard and bigger nose walks up and says, I'll take you up there if you beat me in a game. The question is, what game? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's dual monsters. Nope. I, I, nope. Absolutely not. It's, it's not. It's dual okay. Monsters. We're already in the shadow realm. <laughs> it's not a place. There, I said it. It's quite literally a place. <laughs> the void is. This is the void. The shadow realm is different, but that's also a completely different series. So, Matt, I know you said you didn't read the liturgy, so uh, I will fill you in on a uh, few details that appeared beneath the pages leading up to Allison making this deal with Vladok. The liturgy has uh, excerpts from a tome of demonology explaining the various colors of devils. Uh, we have the Pale Devils, who are the absolute weakest, barely even sentient. Then we have Blue, uh, which we're very familiar with, thanks to CO. There's then the Verdant Green Devils, who are wise in the ways of magic. The Violent Red Devils, who are the greatest war monsters. The Gold Devils, who are very wise and very greedy and prone to creating criminal empires, like Prem Nand, who we met last book. And finally... There's the Ebon Devils, the biggest and the baddest, the ones who have shucked off every name except for their true one and are monsters that shake the pillars of the world whenever they do something. Vladek oh. has one name and is colored deeply black. <laughs> oh, that's good, because uh, I think CO does actually say all of that within the context of the story then. Yeah. No, none of that was new information. She sings it. Yeah, yes. this is this is actually a bit of a through line. The thing that I noticed about the liturgy, like like last time when I started reading the liturgy, um, but like didn't get the chance to get through all of it. It's something that is touched on briefly in the context of the story. Like, you know, kill six billion demons. If it's not white chains, there will never be just an exposition dump. Like the way that information is given is... Like it's like they just throw information at you. And then here's poor Allison, who's in the audience position of having no idea what any of these proper nouns mean, whereas the liturgy will actually explain what the proper nouns mean. Like you can intuit a lot of the stuff by just reading the the story proper. The stuff with how the uh, devils work and like the the number of names having meaning is explained in greater detail in the liturgy. 
So it, it reinforces what's already there. I feel like this section did that a lot better than the previous section, mostly because White Chains was not talking to people, like not talking to people who didn't know what was going on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I wholly accept that. There's a, a lot more engagement with the actual uh, grit of the universe, and that's because uh, this is also the book of Allison Does Things at <laughs> yep. long last. <laughs> but before we can get down to this uh, game, this challenge, we pop back into the void where White Chain and Juggernaut Star are going to meet with Juggernaut's master. And White Chain gets a bit reversaled on uh, getting the Bible verses talked at them <laughs> with Juggernaut Star explaining how exactly how Zoss, the Conquering King, came into possession of the keys because, you know, he, he busted his way into heaven and he found all the prime angels and he whipped their asses. The first of the angels, the, the biggest and the baddest, the voice of God was Metatron, notable for not even having a number, which means literally never died and reincarnated. OK, yeah, I was going to ask that the numbers are the number of times they have like returned to the like physical plane from the void. Exactly. OK, yeah which makes White Chain's very high number of 82 a bit prominent. Wait, hold on, Sam. As long as we're asking lore questions, does Metatron have like a really indifferent second in command? In a way to Michael? Oh, that's disappointing. I was hoping for some like really go-getter one-upmanship who's constantly like, ah, yes, Metatron. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> that's a long way to go for that. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny, so I'm on board with it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Matt. That was good. <laughs> it's widely believed that all of the Prime Angels are dead and in the midst of reincarnating, and that uh, T. Michael was the only one that escaped getting uh, myrtleized by Zoss. Uh, and that's what White Chain is uh, very firm with uh, reinforcing. But no, Metatron lives because Zoss didn't kill Metatron. He pinned him down and kicked him in the gut until Metatron gave up the seven names of God, which Zoss then split into seven parts and made into the keys. Except for, you know, the master key, which contains all seven names and he kept for himself. But yeah, no, Zoss never actually finished off Metatron. He's just lying there, bleeding out from numerous wounds, pinned to the floor of the void. And this is the hideous tableau that uh, White Chain is brought forth to. Also, you remember the pink guy from last time, Delicious, he's here, he's <laughs> up. The Thorns, the Thorn Knights, are the followers of Metatron, who perhaps quite understandably is very put off with the presence of mortals in heaven, considering he both lived through and is still feeling the wounds of what Zoss did, and so wants to uh, purge them all and wipe them out. And so the Thorn Knights uh, enforce orthodoxy amongst the other angels. Well, I mean, White Chain tries to enforce orthodoxy. What these people are, are enforcing is like orthodoxy, but like, let's add a layer of violence to it. Like they want to hit mm -hmm. the reset button. They want to they want to start the universe over. Yes. See, Jacob, that's the fun thing about religion. Two orthodoxies can be both diametrically opposed and both equally correct. <laughs> <laughs> As we see here. Yep, delicious. In 
what I will admit is a little bit of a uh, a spitting in the face of God moment that I like uh, tells the Thorn Knights they can all go uh, suck it because even if they kill Delicious here, they will reincarnate and just do the exact same thing again. You can't stop me from changing. You can't stop me from becoming something new. Uh, it doesn't matter if you kill me now. You basically get like the three most extreme responses to what Throne has become. You have White Chain who wants to fix it in the least painful way possible for our, all parties involved. While following the old law, which was, you know, the rules set down when mortals came to Throne. It's, it's a very like ver forgiving perspective, a very, a very do no harm perspective. Then you get the Thorns who are just like... Well, this is not worth the time. Burn it all. And then you get Delicious, who is like, this is the way things are now. Why not just accept it and make the best of it? Or they get stabberated for it. Metatron lives. Oh, they don't even get stabberated. Uh, in a very poignant visual metaphor, Juggernaut Star beats Delicious to death with a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> splattering blood all over Metatron's huge monolithic face. It's honestly pretty disgusting, but I kind of love it. I mean, it's very much a moment that it shows the Thorns for what they are. They can they can talk about trying to restore heaven and all that, but like really, it's a very like clean the house by burning it down mentality that isn't particularly justifiable. I think it's pretty justifiable when the house in its original form was a giant pyre. <laughs> that's that's not a, that's not an invalid perspective, to be fair. Yeah, fair point. A fair point. All all life is fundamentally fire. Uh, yeah, that, that was part of the uh, the little sermon that two Michael gave at the beginning, which did point out that uh, there are four primary creations. There were the angels, which were the first made, and they were a cool white fire, which didn't really suit the purposes of the gods, so they got discarded. Uh, then there were the servants, uh, the hot white fire made for specific purposes, and they're all the weirdo non-human beings that you see in Throne. Uh, next were the humans, uh, specifically created by Aizma, who is my favorite of all the background characters. And uh, they were specifically referred to as Aizma's mistake because Aizma never does anything right. And they are the only true mortals of the multiverse. And then finally, uh, the hot black flame was made into the devils, which were just formless chaos until mankind in our infinite idiocy gave them names and shapes. Yeah, and the, the distinction that's made for humans is that when the other three die, the flame returns to the void, which is where a lot of uh, this book takes place. But um, the, the human flame in the void will just eventually go out. It's the only flame that will actually just fade entirely and return to the void. But the, uh, all this talk of metaphysics and the nature of the universe... This boring. Let's get down to a drinking game. <laughs> uh, we go back to the bar in the void with Allison and all of the devils. And uh, Vladok, the Evan devil that she has made her contract with, challenges her to a drinking game. Uh, whoever is the first to tap out is the loser. And Sio's like, all right, 
kid. You really <laughs> up for one. For two, you're never going to win this. Uh, he is literally supernaturally resilient. So here, take this magic charm that will suck all the alcohol out of your blood so you can drink indefinitely. But that's like cheating, isn't it? I don't care, and neither does he. Go, just don't get caught. <laughs> yeah, Seal basically says, you're doing a competition against a devil. If you're not cheating, he'd probably be insulted. <laughs> cheating is part of the sportsmanship. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because this is a uh, devil's drinking game, everyone breaks into song. <laughs> now, do they break into song purposefully or are they coerced into song? Because it seems like some people switch to singing like mid-sentence. In one of the panels, Allison is like talking normally and then, oh, why am I singing too? I love one of her little quips is I sound like a Disney princess. <laughs> well, aside from the fact that that was influenced by a demon, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Disney's gotten a lot more adventurous. Just like that episode of Buffy where there was a demon, a song demon that appeared and everyone in the cast, like it was the musical episode where everyone in the cast started musically singing. It was ah. interesting. <laughs> had two of those, hey. didn't they? And the second one was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, everything needs a musical episode. Allison sits down across from Vladek at the table and they start pounding down various drinks as all the devils sing about what they're going to do when they shed their names and attain great power. Uh, I really liked this section because each of the individual things they're drinking has like a full-on craft beer label made for it. That's like yeah. really nicely done. I I know, right? It's it's very nice. Other than the fact the third drink on like the level of difficulty was a rum, and then it goes back to like a stout. I'm like, hold on a second. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's really good rum. The the one thing that you cannot complain about this series, regardless of what your opinion of it is, is like when it comes to like a detailed art piece, like it goes all out. Uh, one of my favorite bits in this entire section is uh, Allison isn't the only human present right now. There are three other humans who came into the void in order to make contracts with devils for their own purposes. And uh, Allison, for some reason, didn't give them her real name. So uh, she <laughs> she is Magister. Uh, well, Sio advised her not to, didn't she? Yeah, I think so. But uh, what's Sailor Moon's real name? Serena. 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 <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Jay, you of all people should know the actual one. <laughs> ah, the, the Japanese. Hey, guys. One. Sailor says, don't give your real names to demons. That did yeah. no good. <laughs> Usagi. Usagi, that's it. So she calls herself Magister Usagi, which uh, these other people buy because they don't have pop culture in the multiverse, I guess. <laughs> the other thing about that is that from their perspective, they recognize the key of kings. So they just take Allison at her word whenever she says something. Mm -hmm. They're they're yeah. very they're very trusting, basically, because they're like, well, she's hideously more powerful than literally everyone here combined. So we're just going to have to accept whatever she says. Yep. <laughs> so these these three demonologists are talking all about, you know, the the physics of the world and how to make the devils work for you. And they're the entire time they're calling her Magister Sailor Moon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is actually one of my favorite moments for Allison, because it's the first like heroic resolve moment for her like we already had the bit where she uh chose to go back into the void and into the crazy world of throne and uh you know 
saying that she was going to just bum rush the boss to get this over with quickly, you know, skip all the other parts of the JRPG. As the drinking game goes on and on, Vladik is getting more and more uh, freaked out because she's not, she should, she shouldn't even be standing. She should be dead right now because these are yeah. supernaturally potent drinks. From his perspective, even if she's cheating, which she probably is, she should still be dead like three in and we're out like. I mean, that's kind of what I interpreted by the fact that she literally turned like deathly green in some of the shots. And I'm just like, is I'm, I'm pretty sure she's literally, well, alcohol is a poison. She's literally drinking poison, straight on poison, supernaturally um, potent levels. So I'm just like, how are you even existing at this? How do you even have it inside? How are you not liquefied <laughs> at this point? <laughs> hey, you don't understand. <laughs> These demons, their drinking competitions are those of mere children and compared to the fires that she was forged in, that of a sorority. <laughs> yes. Have they ever been to Ace Week? <laughs> week, that's what I meant. You can tell I've never had a sorority of Greek like my Some could also call it Haze Week, but really hazing lasts for the remainder of your time there. The remainder of your life. To be real. Jeez. Couldn't sign on for that. 20 years later. Hey, drink this backwash. I don't want it, guys. I'm a law firm now. Do it, Pledge. I mean, really, that's how you establish dominance. You're just some new kid from college. You got to prove yourself. (laughs) Continuing to harass them for 20 years? Yes. Okay. Boy. Boy, I'm glad I'm a hermit. The more I learn about the outside world, the less I like it. <laughs> They'll find you, Jacob. <laughs> but yeah, they're on their 10th round and Vladik is like, you're not going to win, you stupid girl. You're easy prey. I'm going to take that key of kings. I'm going to become a badass. And Allison breaks into a little soliloquy talking about her intense, deep set levels of self-hatred. Because they're still singing at this point. About how she was this weedy little nerd and so she wanted to be cool. But the more she tried to be cool, the more she hated herself because she wasn't being true to herself. She says she hates herself more than before, but at least she gets drunk some more. So you can talk smack till your lips crack and blister. You'll still never out drink a sorority sister. (laughs) And she's got her super Saiyan aura going. And proof that he's lost, Vladek stops singing. Yeah, he he basically just gives up at that point. And at which point um, in giving up, he also decides uh, screw the deal violence which breaks his mask and he becomes an unbound force of chaos incredibly destructive very dangerous and we need a we need to uh combine all of our powers in order to uh bind it and cast it back into the void and where is she going who uh, did she steal a mask off of another devil she just does that (laughs) she grabs another devil's mask and he's like but that's mine sorry i'm borrowing this Oh, I love the uh, but I need that from the, from the devil in the crowd. She stole the mask from my only curiosity is, doesn't that mean that devil is going to turn into a unbound chaos thing? Don't think about it. <laughs> well, I mean, Jacob, if you want to be honest, she does have the key of kings. So whatever she does is established as reality. Her will is stronger. <laughs> That is the point of this moment, indeed, because uh, she forces the mask onto Vladek 
um, and uh, gives him a new really, really long name. Because the more names it has, the less powerful it is. And the Magisters keep yelling at her to add more and more names. And I really like this. Uh, Matt, I know you probably didn't see it because you weren't looking at the liturgy, but um, Allison goes to uh, put... She puts the mask on Vladek and the Magisters say, you have to give it a name. And she says, all right, then in the name of the moon and all this delicious ass liquor, I name you. And the page ends. And there in the liturgy is a little drawing of Yisun, like, what does she name it? And so the names come from the community. They are from the comment section. Yeah, one of uh, the revelations, one of the revelations I had um, when I was because I I've read more of the liturgy now. I didn't read all of it like I wanted to just because it's a lot and I didn't have the time. But um, oh, these are these are forum posts that were between Abaddon and his friends that got flavored as Bible verses. And like once I saw past the veil of reality. <laughs> It made so much more sense to me. Congratulations. You're beginning to believe. <laughs> I saw God's true name. You are now a true reader of Kill Six Billion Demon. <laughs> Allison and the community names Vladuk now as Princess Mamaru Moonshine Jägermeister Jack Jack Daniels Timothy Tim Bill Freddie Mercury Blueberry Luna Esquire. I see nothing wrong with this. <laughs> all the way down to a pathetic little blue devil who sits there like what what happened i wait is that my name oh my god <laughs> I, I love this entire sequence it smacks of so much the DD &D party flying by the seat of their pants yeah we see a lot of range from allison over the course of this and like her her going to modem's domain and directly to modem is an incredibly stupid and foolhardy decision that she did not think through and is a bad idea. We see that side. We see uh, sides of Allison being authoritative and like accepting, you know, being a bearer of the key of Kings. And, and this is one of those like traditional hero moments um, where she was set in as the underdog and, and, you know, stands up against something insurmountable. And this is one of the like most unambiguously hero moment things that she does over the course of this. It's nice to see after everything she went through last book, she just wins. Mm -hmm. Everyone underestimated her. No one thought anything of her. I mean, I guess I guess the, the, the humans who had come to make uh, contracts with devils recognized the key of kings and maybe overestimated her a little bit but like all of the devils nobody thought anything of her co who actually knew her definitely didn't think any of her and she just gets an unambiguous win you know well we'll see that the decisions that she made previously to bum rush the boss with no preparation was indeed a terrible idea but like in this particular case she you know she does something and just wins. And it's so nice after all the crap she went through last time that she just wins. Also, something interesting to note, later on in this book, Zoss appears before Allison, as he's wont to do at the end of every book, do a little name dropping, spout a little wisdom. Uh, he says that the power will not accept an irresolute wielder. And... 
when Allison is saying, by the power of the moon and all this booze, uh, <laughs> the key is flaring to life in her forehead. She is resolved. She is here to do something. And the power is responding to her. Because the, the simple fact is, she does have a key of kings. She is basically a god amongst gods on a bad day. Yep. Despite the fact that she doesn't really know how to wield it properly quite yet. Unfortunately, most of Allison's days currently have been bad days. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, get a little uh, setup in the background of all of these shenanigans. We meet Oscar the Red Devil, who is a uh, ex-boyfriend of CEO's. <laughs> Uh, also, another one of my favorite characters. Uh, we see it later, but he has a coat that on the back says bad man and his pants are stamped with the word evil over and over. Uh, I remember I remember Oscar. I don't remember the other one. The other thing that we have set up is those weird flesh hunter things that Preem Nand made last time. Uh, they're here. They sniffed out Sio and Allison and they're coming for us. Mm, yeah. Leaving us, we we uh, thus going now because uh, people are still chasing after Allison because of the because of the key. The uh, the one problem here is that uh, even though Allison technically won the day, Vladik uh, broke the contract, so uh, Princess isn't going to be able to take Allison up into Modem City. But uh, CEO has been given enough external pressures to be like, all right, screw it, we're going. I'm going to put on my coat of arms, uh, create a giant paper bird dragon thing and we're gonna fly away and it looks cool as hell yeah because at this point Sio didn't want to go to modem's palace because modem is a god amongst gods and would probably kill them unfortunately all of the people who have been chasing them and want to kill them happen to be stumbling across this drinking game because it was a big spectacle so <laughs> that, that maybe dying to modem is better than definitely dying to all of the people showing up here indeed because the pursuers from hell 72 have also returned standing there ready to continue their chase uh though I think the most important thing that we fall back on to end this particular little segment of the of our reading is as Allison is stumbling around drunk as a sailor, CEO uh, notices the little totem uh, stuck in Allison's back pocket when the only way it would have worked is if she would have eaten it. So that means Allison did this entire thing legitimately. She went 10 rounds of drinking game against an ebon devil and one legit the giant some fool. <laughs> I, I don't know what they make you do at her sorority's pledge week, but clearly all these demons need to do it as well, because <laughs> that is how you win drinking competitions. It has given Allison power beyond power. It's also it's also such a like I love the moment I like that for in specific is that the overwhelming majority of the first book, it's like it, we don't really get a look at the real Allison until she goes back. And like the real Allison is someone who like loves Sailor Moon and like has this sort of traditional hero sort of like mentality where like she doesn't want to cheat. She knows this. This is magic uh, devil 
alcohol. She's a human being. The simple act of not cheating because cheating is bad is like that sort of don't think about it starry eyed heroism. It's the sort of idealism that I personally strive for, you know, and like don't necessarily always succeed because, you know, shortcuts are easy, et cetera, et cetera. With the with the way that we've seen how she views the world and herself before she started changing herself. That's one of those moments where that's the real Allison, and that's the reason why the key responded to her. Because to a large extent, it is magic alcohol, but she also has a magic god power in her forehead. That's sort of owing to the idea of um, the key won't respond unless you're resolute. There's a, a bit in the interim, but we're moving forward to Modem's palace. Who the real Allison is versus the Allison that we've visually seen up to this point is a really important factor and this is like the first this is i suppose the second time because the first time is when she goes back but this is the first time when it's like a active threat in front of her we see allison being the real allison we get uh some more talk about the nature of the multiverse but honestly uh it doesn't pertain a whole lot to the actual plot going forward. It's just some more world building stuff. I think it's very interesting, <laughs> actually. <laughs> but <laughs> in the interest of everybody else, uh, continuing on, the palace of Modem has disappeared from the void, but that's because it gated into another world. And so it's left the void. It's now in an actual physical place. But before we arrive there, Allison is in the midst of having a Kingdom Hearts ass dream. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've actually not played that much Kingdom Hearts, so I could be wrong. Yeah, this part, this part, I actually um, I don't really remember this part particularly. I, I think I might have misunderstood. This wasn't a dream like I. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see feel that it was a dream sequence so much as what was happening it's a little a column A, little a column B. My mind blank for some reason. Okay, yes. No, uh, she she passed out from all the, from drinking. the drinking and is visited by one of the gods. Yeah, so she's in darkness. She's lying in a small patch of light, thinking about how friggin' wild her life has gotten. And then uh, a hot guy appears above her saying that he's God. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that's Incubus, one of the seven Demiurges, come to be like, hey, kid, make a contract with me. <laughs> but uh, she doesn't. She wakes up before anything else happens. See, she's capable uh, of making good decisions sometimes. I see now why I didn't remember this happening. It's like two pages. OK, I feel better now. It is a uh, Chekhov's gun moment. This becomes more prominent in book three. It's just a bit of setup right now. But uh, I, I has I uh, beg to disagree, Jake. The only reason she didn't make a bad decision here is because she timed out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not picking a, a boon from Shenron in Dragon Ball Fighters. You just ran out of time. <laughs> uh, Allison wakes up on a absolutely desolated, mucky wasteland of a mudball backwards ass planet underneath the hanging glory that is modem's domain basically once again we we reestablish uh allison's entire plan seems to be go to the nearest demiurge and say hey can i have my boyfriend back and leave which um speaking of excellent decisions uh-huh yeah the answer to that question is no allison you know sits up puts herself together a little bit it's a meditative ritual for her uh and 
starts marching off towards uh, the palace. And Sio's like, no, you stupid idiot. Do not. I, okay. Okay. Uh, fine. It, and by, by the time she's uh, come around, Allison's already left. Aw, uh, they're fighting. <laughs> <laughs> On the way there, Allison uh, stumbles into someone who is not important in this book, but was in the last scene of this book. So I'm sure will be important later. Yeah, she's introduced here. She becomes a more pivotal character later on. Again, while this book isn't the entirety only just set up that uh, <laughs> that book one is, uh, there's still a lot of planting of seeds for the future. We meet Niav. That's how you pronounce her name. <laughs> it's a hard one. You you uh, actually have to like mouse over the comic panel for the little pop up to appear where Abaddon gives the name pronunciation because he's an asshole like that <laughs> obviously wouldn't be in the uh, hard copy so yeah i i don't know why they make those um, <laughs> we learn from uh Nayav that she was to become a handmaiden of the great divinity mother ohm but uh something in her heart made her uh, run away. All of the handmaidens go to uh, serve under Modem and are never seen again. That's not ominous at all. Mm hmm. Definitely not uh, ominous at all, because uh, as part of the like blasted hellscape, you know, Modem City is floating above everybody and water is pouring off of it, probably sewage. Uh, and people are like crouched in the gray muck underneath the pouring water, trying to catch it in their hands like there's something out of Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm going to argue on the point of I think the point they don't come back is not suspicious at all, because I would never want to return to the hellscape if I could go to that floating city. <laughs> that is fair. A fair point. Allison is like, all right, so they're taking uh, they're taking girls as tribute. Give me your cloak. This is my ticket up. She is indeed taken. By, uh, even though all the other girls are like, this isn't Nayev. Look, she's clearly different. And uh, Modem's servant is like, we don't have time for your bickering. We're going up there. Shut up. We're, al we're already late. Let's just get going. And so now that our heroine has successfully 007 her way onto uh, the God Queen's palace, uh, let's go check in with White Shane. Oh, no. White Shane, are you all right? <laughs> I mean, every chapter White Chain appears in no, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> It is. It has been a progression of getting worse for them every time we've seen them. Yeah. The happiest we've seen them is when a crime lord was misgendering them. <laughs> Which kind of tells you how happy the life they lead. Uh, we cut back to the entrance of the void where Vigilant Gaze says, Ho there! Coming or going? And, you know, surrounded by a bunch of other angels who are just kind of chilling. And then it's like, oh, no, White Shane, what are what happened to you? Because White Shane is uh, their color is physically darker. They are bleeding from several wounds and giving a very despondent stride. And the only answer to these questions of what happened to you is Metatron lives. And uh, White Shane explains what happened to them. Uh, Metatron spoke to them in the voice of truth, a truth so painful and so absolute that it blasted their mind. The pain was so great they can't even recall what was said, but it was the truth. Uh, and this is the part that really makes me like White Chain, despite being shown like the actual truth and unobstructed. The literal word of God. 
the literal word of God, certainty beyond all other certainties, White Chain still says no, refuses to join the Order of Thorns, tries to flee, gets battered around a bit by Juggernaut Star. And then before Juggernaut can finish White Chain off, Two Michael arrives as a big bird. Fundamentally, what it comes down to is White Chain believes that the world is worth salvaging, that there is goodness somewhere buried underneath it, and you just have to put in the work to clean it up. And I really appreciate that. You know, you can you can read that as a metaphor of like, no matter how bad people get, at the end of the day, people are good. It's under all these layers of like metaphysical, you know, seven, 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 seven universes and whatnot. But like that really is what it comes down to is that um, what the thorns have seen is like the word of God says that humanity is evil and White Chain says, but there are good people, so it's worth trying. And I really appreciate that about their character. Uh, it also is proof that White Chain is in fact the closest to Yi Sun because in the liturgy of book one, uh, Yi Sun as much as says, uh, I hate beginnings and I am a consummate liar. Mm. So the literal voice of God cannot even be trusted as the truth. So suck it, Metatron. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to Michael is obsessed with the idea of getting thrown back to the way it was. The circle, pure, infertile. The All these mortals being here, all these people, this is, this is causing too much change. We can't have this don't like change everything has to stay the same once this recap for the other angels is done we cut back to white chain talking with them the other angels are like come come on white chain this this is being silly yeah they rough you up and that's not good but you know they kind of have a point do you want to be a human do you want that softness do you want to decay away one day one of them has a mirror for a face and shows white chain what it would what being like a human would would ultimately entail. Blanche says, no, I care about the world. It's worth saving. It's our responsibility. People suffer without our help. And uh, all the other angels are like, no, come on, this is silly. Just you spend some time in the void. Get away from humanity. It'll help you. It, you'll become more angel like again. You'll become a you'll become a wheel with uh, a wheel of eyes. Mm -hmm. Good. As all <laughs> angels should be. <laughs> Vigilant Gaze does pipe up a few times as, all right, come on, lay off White Chain. They've had a hard time. It's It's been difficult. Give them a minute. And But the others aren't listening. They're still just being like, no, you should listen to them. You should just stop being human. And White Chain literally rips their face off, <laughs> reaches up, grabs their face like a mask and tears it away. So there's just a hole in their head. It's like, Fine, this is what you want. This is what everything should be. All right, then I accept. Yeah, I'll be less human. I'll go back to the world. I'll find Allison. I'll get uh, get the key of kings to the true heir, which they think is Zade. They're wrong. And then I'll bring the rising king to Metatron so that he can be subjugated. I'm going to do it. It's sort of interesting because while I was reading this, uh, as we've been discussing it, it, it's helped me sort of like... Um, like sort through like the the way that the scenes are presented because I wasn't entirely sure um if um white chain was actually like succumbing to all of this because like you know after after everything they've been through I you know I'm really rooting for them but like 
they're they're just saying this to get out of here at this point. Like they're they're just done with everybody telling them what to do. Yeah, which is funnily enough very similar to the position that Allison has been in this entire time. The scene had a strong slamming your door and going, "Fuck you! You're not my real dad." Energy to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I kind of like about it. Like even though the other angels are being gentler with White Chain, they're still pressuring uh, White Chain in the direction that the Thorns want them to go in. Yeah, the the difference between the angels that are there in the void and not reincarnating and the thorns is the the angels in the void are like it's beyond fixing. So I'm just going to sit here for a while, whereas the thorns are it's not going to get fixed. So just burn it all down. I'll chill out here for a few millennia. The humans are bound to die eventually. Yeah, the, the, the thorns are just a bit more active in so far as that. <laughs> That's going to become a consistent theme with all of our main characters doing something where others won't. It's like, sure, you might not be making uh, the best decision. You could theoretically be wiser. You might cause more problems in the short term than you fix, but at least you're doing something. The consistent thing that's presented from basically all of the antagonists is our various heroes are given the option of either doing literally nothing and letting things stay awful or making it worse. What Allison and now White Chain are doing is saying, I'm going to do neither of those things. I'm going to do literally anything else because doing nothing leaves everything in its awful state and making it worse because you don't think it's worth trying is the same thing as the previous option, but worse. So I will do literally anything else, even if it's a bad idea. I don't care. It's better than the two options you presented me with. That's when <laughs> this is the part where we really start getting into the themes of uh, Kill Six Billion Demons that I absolutely love. Because now we're finally up to uh, Modem City. The Palace of Radiance. Oh my gosh, this whole, like this whole section of it. Well, that's a great scene. Well, that's a great scene. Well, that's like, I loved this entire like back half of the reading so much. Yeah, this is kind of where I was able to actually focus in on what I was reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I think... I think we can all agree. Just, you know, take me up to Modem City where the grass is alive and the girls are sacrificed to feed a dying tree. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of where I was expecting it to bleed, like, subliminally. It was kind of, like, insinuated, I felt. But, I mean, like, for me at least, like, I wasn't... Well, I'll elaborate further on in the in the closing notes, but this is where I was kind of brought back to plot because, I don't know. Well, and, and that is sort of the thing. This is this is where more so than other points in the story, the plot and the themes actually intersect because there is a lot of cases where kill six billion demons and like this is my criticism of like this particular work in general is kind of like I was keyed on to Allison's journey and then like a bunch of world building and lore is being thrown into this not you know, discounting people who like that kind of thing. But I'm like, so how does this tie back to what Allison's dealing with right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's sort of what I was getting at, where um, like the idea of the the themes of the story and the hero's journey of Allison in particular intersect here. Whereas before this point, like a lot of the world building stuff is is establishing and reinforcing the themes that Allison expresses here and me and Sam like that type of storytelling. Yeah. If you don't like that type of storytelling, then... Which I don't. <laughs> yep. 
I don't. So I'm like, Sam and Sam and Jake will explain this to me. I have no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> Entirely fair. Entirely yep. fair. But so like this is literally the part where I clicked into, okay, this is happening now. I ha I understand what's going on again. This objectively matters. Yes. <laughs> I gotta say, I really like the um the scene of walking through the Palace of Radiance uh, quite fairly. And it's been stated several times in this podcast that Kill Six Billion Demons is often very obtuse. It is uh, subtle or it is so cluttered that you can't really see what's going on. The like second panel of them going through the city has the most slap you in the face metaphor in this entire comic. <laughs> and, and that's when they pass the contingent from uh, Mammon one of the other demiurges. And if the fact that he's named Mammon and he's in charge of a bank didn't tell you, he's greed. Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a huge slap him in the face. Yeah, and uh, the final panel of this particular page is zooming in on the hand of the soldier of Mammon. It says, it's no wonder that the subjects of Modem offer their rarest bounties so freely. Freely. It's the guy's hand on a sword, and literally three fingers are tied to the sword hilt. Three finger discount. <laughs> <laughs> it's very overt. Yeah, that is uh, the loudest that Abaddon has screamed in our faces yet. And I can only think of like one other place where this happens again, or at least this level of just shouting, it's blank at the audience. Uh, we, we move through the city into the palace itself at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, you all might remember from book one when all the demiurges met up in the void, the little gremlin in the big orange robe and the giant hat. Uh, that was uh, Mother Ohm, Modem. And we see her once again on a big throne surrounded by just so many boxes, so many people bringing her tribute. Like the next panel is showing the uh, hordes of people still left to give her things and the like entire warehouses worth of stuff piled off to the side. And the panel says many hours later, many, many hours later, she's gluttony. Do you get it? <laughs> <laughs> this entire scene is do you get the metaphor? Do you get it? There, there's the character who appears next who in canon, shouts his metaphor at her and then explains his metaphor in case she didn't get it in universe. <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, was a pretty cool moment for that person. It doesn't go well for them, but... Uh, the king of one of the subjugated worlds says, here's your tribute. It's the bones of my citizens. You witch. You sucked my world dry. You've created death and famine, and I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And Modem says, we are greatly moved by thy words, so we shall grant thee mercy. And then she says, make like a tree and leaf as she turns him into a tree. She turns him into a fruit bearing tree because he was complaining about his people starving. I am a generous God. I will give your people food and then turns him into a tree that, that bears edible fruit. Point of this though is that King wanted to be a martyr and was just like, kill me, do it, you. And she's just like, oh no, I won't let you die. You'll live forever as a tree. Deal with that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, people being a tree forever is a bit of a through line in this section, isn't it? <laughs> 
it's here where we get the first of the title card drops because the the demiurges are so ridiculously badass and important they get like uh heroes lists their many uh names and feats just appearing as a panel Queen Nadia Ohm, the Blood Flower, Imperatrix of the Gates of Fire, Bearer of the Word Glory, and Goddess of the Seven-Part World. As she's standing there, not a gremlin, but rather tall and rather hot. As she was uh, turning the, um... The man's into a tree. We find out later exactly how it works, but she uh, turned into her more presentable form. And, you know, she stands up, she raises her staff, it glows very brightly, everyone falls to their knees... As they're supposed to. Allison is still standing. <laughs> the other thing that's great about this is she actually kneels at first, too, because like everyone drops to their knees because that's just what you do in the presence of a bearer of the key of kings. It cuts to Allison's face and she kneeled because that's just what you do in this situation. That person is a god. Mm -hmm. And then she stands up. She steals herself because if I do this, then coming here was pointless. And like a bearer of a key of kings as well, she stands because, you know, kings kneel to no one. Uh-huh. Even though she looks like she's about to wet herself in fear, she is standing there, key gleaming in her forehead like, Hi, ma'am. Speaking of which, can we just talk about how convenient it is that the uh, wardrobe for all the uh, offering happened to be a uh, neck, uh, piece of forehead jewelry that looked suspiciously like a key of king, so she put it in perfectly? Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's a metaphor in that somewhere. It wouldn't surprise me with the series. If I remember correctly, the magisters that she meets in the void mention in passing that the demiurges will sometimes grant a fraction of their power to a favored servant. And it also appears to be one of the keys, even though it isn't the full power. It's like, go forth, do this bidding for me, and you'll need this power to do it, but then give it back when you're done. And by the way, I can just take it back whenever I want. So don't try running. See, I was kidding about it being a metaphor, but I'm not surprised that Loremaster Sam over there actually then <laughs> subsequently explained it. <laughs> As is tradition with Kill Six Billion Demons on our podcast. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's an explanation somewhere. I, <laughs> I, I would imagine that them having that forehead jewelry painted on would be uh, a way to, like, signify that. We cut away from the tribute room to a very, very grand feast hall. Like, Half a dozen tables laden with fare, and Allison sitting there very uncomfortable in a modem style outfit. <laughs> Once again, they're not very subtle with the metaphor. <laughs> mm hmm. Modem has returned to her gross goblin grandma form. Well, child, why aren't you eating? Is this an uncomfortable situation for you? Yes. Can I just have my boyfriend back and leave? I'd really no! like to go now. <laughs> <laughs> This is, yet again, one of those cases where I freaking love this scene because the stuff that, like, Modem is saying to tear down Allison, it seems like it's just a villain speech. It's just so much projecting. It's nothing but projecting. It's nothing but projecting, and this is going to stay true. But in this scene, Modem's actually absolutely right about Allison because... At this point, what we're watching is the fake Allison from book one. The the 
level of um, self-pity and self-hatred and woe is me that Modem is projecting onto this Allison is completely true. And the the degree to which these two characters parallel each other, I loved every moment of it. Because, like, when you think about it, the only real difference between Modem and pre-story Allison is that Modem had the power of a god all along. That's mm-hmm. the only real difference between these two people. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, Allison says, "Just can you just tell me where Zade is? Can you just give me him back? It's like... Oh, the the young man, the heir? Well, allow me to elaborate on the balance of power between the seven demiurges. Are you ready for politics? In other other words, yes. (laughs) Yes. But hold on, get through my story first. (laughs) (laughs) What if I said I didn't want an exposition dump? Too bad, I have this prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Let, Let me explain to you why being a god actually sucks. Modem talks about how Jagannath, uh, you'll remember him as giant red dad bod man from book one. They cannot stand up to him. He will absolutely whip all of their asses that uh, all six of them working together could maybe defeat him. Big maybe, not even a coin toss. And Allison is like, yeah, okay, that's great. Where is my boyfriend? Because basically it's it's very much the situation where um, Modem... She does the big villain speech. Well, it's more relevant, it's more direct, and it's not as bible verse but Modem starts doing what White Chains did to her last time. And Allison knows where this goes. Literally nowhere. So she's like, all right, no, 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 no. Shut up. Where's my boyfriend? Oh, Mammon has him in the Fortress of Ure. <laughs> like okay thank you that's all i needed but you don't understand i don't get an opportunity to talk to people that often so here's my burden some story for you <laughs> you need to understand i have been separated from equals for so long and you are only a fraction of my power but that is enough for me to fully just exposition on to you why I'm not responsible for any of the bad things I do. I'm just a product of circumstance. Pity me, pity me and worship me like a god. All this kind of like culminates in, damn, you guys need some therapy. Seriously, really? do though. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame me, blame my upbringing. Please stop <laughs> sinning while I'm singing. <laughs> Society, <laughs> the aristocrat. Her argument really is: we live in a society, isn't it? That's her entire <laughs> argument crystallized into one meme. Yes, and I call yes. this argument the aristocrat. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I didn't quite get it, but <laughs> but um, modem brings in a whole bunch of uh, weird, fleshy-looking peach things. Yep. That, they, that was very disturbing to watch. I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel that there was a more, I don't know I, how to phrase this. Palatable? Just, yes, absolutely. More palatable way to consume these fruits. You just made, you just chose the most disgusting way ever. I did not even know they were fruits. I 100% just thought they were eating cysts. <laughs> oh. I mean, it was like the little gooey liquid part that was like kind of oozing off of them. They look like peaches out of it. Like when she when she cuts it, it is fleshy on the inside and the outside looks like skin. So I never mm-hmm. knew this was a fruit. I never I mean, knew. I just thought like her like 
jewelry nail thing like was piercing it and i'm like girl you're either gonna have to get that wash or you're gonna have to take it off like just use your no. fingers just use your hands man you don't understand allison i got my nails done for this special occasion and i will let everyone know why, why am i doing a skeletor voice I mean, for for gremlin grandma modem, that actually does fit. I think they mentioned in passing at one point that they're peaches, but they definitely look pretty, uh, pretty ripe. They're supposed to resemble peaches, but we see where they come from soon enough. Yeah. Allison has a fraction of one of them and reverts to a prepubescent child. And modem devours like half a dozen and gets to the same state. Yeah. She alludes to several times, like, you don't know how old I am. I'm like, I'm pretty old. Suppose we don't. You're literally mummified. You're a walking mummy. How rude of you to ask a woman her age. <laughs> you belong in a museum. <laughs> but yeah, once again, uh, we're not being particularly subtle with the metaphor because... Allison age regresses to a time period in her life when she was more her genuine self. Odom takes her to a party to continue giving her pity party. It's yeah. literally a pity party. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just noticed that. Yeah. Um, and the fact that she calls her out, she's like, look, you dyed your hair. It's just like, so? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like that little jab. <laughs> Well, that's what's great about it, because um, it's it's through modem talking about how the bad things that I do and the bad things that happen to me aren't my fault because the world exists around me. Therefore, I'm not responsible for anything. Allison realizes that this is a more extreme version of who she had become in college. And like Allison, over the course of talking with modem is just like. That's stupid. You have the power of a god. You choose how this world works. Like, there are things that you can't change because you're not completely invincible and there are outside factors, but you don't have to let people suffer. You have power over this section of the universes. You choose what this world looks like. You don't understand. I was plucked up from obscurity by the previous bearer of this key because he liked my hair. I must always be pretty and that's all. Love how Allison gets done listening to her about half way through this story and stops yeah. commenting at all as she continues only to the end going like yeah I wasn't listening to most of that <laughs> I mean it's when the quote unquote it's when the gods become too human that you're just like yep I know how this ends I'm done done, done. you don't yes I understand you've now become a hundred times worse than the abuser do you not understand this cycle of violence ends with you like, and indeed, that's what I love about this so much, because like, you know, Allison previously didn't have the power of a god, but she certainly could decide whether or not she wanted to be authentic to herself. Like everyone has a degree of control over their own lives, you yeah. know, and what Allison should pursue a career in being a therapist to the gods because they are so. Up. <laughs> Unfortunately, she did major in philosophy, so uh, that's out of bounds for her. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Allison, as much as literally says to Modem's face, Ben, get over yourself. 
I'm I'm pretty sure that's pretty close to a direct quote. Like she literally tells Motive to uh-huh. get over herself. Multiple times, in fact. Multiple times before she goes from like zero to a hundred. Like multiple times she says, yep. You need to just get you're, you're a goddess. You can do whatever you want. Just stop. But I can't, you don't understand the implications. Just stop. You don't understand. Things are difficult and there are reasons for, and Allison's just like, shut the f*** up with your ends justify the means mentality. No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) Doing bad is wrong. Full stop. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You get it. (laughs) And uh, as this entire, like, uh, philosophical argument is going on, uh, the angels show up where we get another philosophical argument. Juggernaut star drops down, murders a couple guards, lets white chain back into their armor. There is a moment where uh, white chain incapacitates a witness rather than killing them. And juggernaut star is like, do you know why I like tea? Because humans put so much time and effort into their into creating this fine china a human's entire life could go into mastering the process of creating a cup like this everything for something so fragile it's hilarious hi straw nihilist i don't agree with anything you say or believe bye shut up you're wrong (laughs) then drops the cup to for it to to shatter for white chain to catch it and then goes on their own monologue about like no you don't understand they dedicated their life to something so it all has value and i will protect it for the old laws and i'm like okay you both need to take like two steps down (laughs) crank up to 11 right now bring it down to nine (laughs) both of you need to just sit down have a deep breath (laughs) juggernaut star says no i'm going to race you to allison and if i get there first i'll kill her go and thus they So you're going to be a murderer. What? No, I don't want to be a murderer. <laughs> Too bad. My favorite side character in the next uh, large panel is the dude with Kanye shades in uh, a George Washington outfit. <laughs> 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 He's just in the center of the page. I love him. There, there's a non-zero chance he could actually be an incredibly important character. Loremaster. Yay or nay? <laughs> nay. <laughs> Even with the Kanye shades, but that means he's God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but we have a lot of those. Yeah. We have more back home. <laughs> we have God at home. <laughs> uh, my favorite panel is the one where Allison is like, Babe, what are you talking about? And Modem trying to continue to be Miss Ojo-sama is like, you're just adorable. Oh, Jesus Christ. Who? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We go to uh, meet with Modem's husband, uh, Nadia McGee, and her gross human tree. <laughs> this was where the wives of the kings would greet them while they were still alive. This looks like a tomb. You murdered your husband, didn't you? Stop spoiling my story. I'm going to now tell you, yes, I did murder my husband. <laughs> what it really sounds like is she just needed a granddaughter to just like unpack all of this stuff onto. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want the stories with grandma where she tells me how she murdered grandpa. I, I don't want to. Or too bad. I killed my husband and then his corpse kept demanding wives. He turned into a giant tree. It's where we got those peaches from. Congratulations, you you ate a sacrificed virgin. Oh, great. It's like, now please take my power, take over my position. I can't deal with this anymore. And slap. I love it. I love it. Allison just 
fucking bit her right across the face and says, you're, you're committing these atrocities because you're afraid to change. Wait, me too. Yeah, and that's that's what's really great about this, because like for all the times Allison said, like, get over yourself, Modem has a lot of we're not so different, you and I villain speech moments. And Allison refutes it at every turn. But like when she's telling Modem to get over herself at a subconscious level, she's she's coming to the realization that she does this, too. And initially, when it's just the two of them at that two-person feast for, you know, a thousand people, everything Modem says about Allison is true, and Allison's get over it is totally hollow and is, is just as meaningless as everything Modem says. Then when they go to the pity party, Allison starts to recognize how uh, self-pitying and how empty what Modem is saying, instead of just simply ignoring her because she just wants to leave, she's actually starting to understand uh, Modem. And like, at some level, it's not, it's hard not to empathize with her at least a little bit, but it's also really frustrating because you know she has the power of a god and can do something about it, and she's choosing not to. And then here in this moment, she's gone through these stages of seeing the reasons for why Modem is the way that she is. This is the moment where she outwardly and op and openly to herself realizes Modem has been right about her all along. And in realizing that... It is no longer true. So Allison uh, goes and takes one of the flaming torches from one of the servants tending to the tree. And uh, who should appear, as he always does at the end of the book, but Zoss, saying, uh, a true ruler is the wielder of names. By names, she cuts the world as she pleases and cuts herself into greater forms still. She is not shaped by the world. She instead becomes its shaper. There's work to be done. What shape will you choose? Will you choose to be a king? Or will you choose to remain as you are, peasant? No. I choose king. And I, I love this speech he gives. There's a little bit before where he prefaces this with, is hated her. She's such a whiner. Referring to, um... Uh, modem. Modem. And that kind of leads the rest of his statement to also be kind of in relation to her, essentially going like um, she is a demiurge who became a slave to her own power. Like she has the power her husband had when she killed him, but she didn't do anything beyond what he did. She maintained the empire. She did everything that was expected of her in order, but she never did anything on her own. She was still as very much a slave as when she was still his wife she did nothing she was a peasant and like basically uh what allison's is doing like like nope this system this is dumb i hate it all burn it to the ground and that's why the thorns are correct move on <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that and this is this is very much the case where um to sort of illustrate the dichotomy of whether or not you like all of the extra world building and backstory that um but like this is just to explain why some things were mentioned, the way that Zoss describes kings making names for themselves and thus cutting up and shaping the world, that is what um, Yisun did to itself and how the universe was created. So 
there's a fair argument that that is not necessary. And if you don't like deep lore, it is a perfectly valid reason to not be a fan of Kill Six Billion Demons. <laughs> Just to make sure that that, you know, doesn't get lost in this. But it's moments like that that really... Um, that really crystallize this this world is a statement onto itself and how things wrap back into each other it's a wheel and allison the breaker of wheels in this moment of pure resolve the power responds to her and she channels it all into that torch that she took and uh, it's not given a name here but i'll tell you right now this attack is called the 10 cubit spear as she cool hurls the bolt of power through the trunk of the tree, destroying Hasted Ohm. I believe Modem mentions in passing something about the tree being completely indestructible or something. Yeah. Not that I necessarily believe her, but, you know. I don't believe she ever tried. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It, it was certainly unbreakable in her own mind, but, you know. And Modem wails, what did you do? I'm going to die. To which Allison, completely based, responds, everybody dies. Get over it. Such an unbelievably so, great moment. I love it. What, one of my uh, favorite little side things I noted while reading this is uh, on the page where she kills the tree. Uh, the alt text for that is one out of six billion. Yes, it is. <laughs> I totally missed that. Uh, we have a few pages of Allison fleeing the palace because, oh, yeah, she, no, she just killed the queen's husband and she should probably go now. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> I mean, she did get what she came for. She knows where Zade is. She just has to escape. And um, while Allison might be a more fitting bearer for a key of kings than Modem, Modem still has one. <laughs> Modem also has one and actually knows how to use it, <laughs> at yeah. least at a basic level. We head back into the pity party again, metaphors. Uh, Allison is in the midst of fleeing and she tries to teleport out. She can't do it. And uh, uh, our dear noodle lady returns. <laughs> Auntie Maya. Yay. I love Maya. She shows up and says the key is not going to teleport you because you tell it to. Uh, but in fairness, you only just got this. You don't really know how to cut space time. Here's a proverb for you. A pebble cast today is the start of a 10,000 year causeway. My master was rather fond of it, but she was habitually drunk. And so you should take her words with a grain of salt. But you should also uh, not mind what I say, because I'm also habitually drunk. <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to kill everything in this room now. Because uh, everything in that room was about to uh, descend upon Allison. Has has the um, has the uh, Hell 72 um, contingent shown up yet? I think they were at the balcony at that point. They haven't shown up quite yet. Uh, Auntie Maya is the first one who, to arrive. And she says she is a student in the principal art of cutting, which is demonstrated when one of the soldiers fires on her and she cuts the bullet in half. With a sword that isn't there. Yes. She didn't visibly draw a weapon. Well, we, we see her sword at one point and it's not there. Yeah, uh, you might remember last time when we talked about Demon Slayer and you know how uh, Tanjiro's sword was during the fight with uh, Rui. That's what Maya just uses all the time. <laughs> just this stubby... Uh, one eighth blade. Uh, but Matt, your favorite character shows up again. 
I know. I love I love Bookhead McGee. <laughs> I, I knew their name at one point, but uh, no longer. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ingsvald. Yeah, yep. they show up. <laughs> Assume to do cool things. Because all the pursuers are here, and Allison's like, "Oh, come the fuck on!" <laughs> I literally just want to leave at this point. <laughs> Everyone's drawing their weapons, and then the baby Kool-Aid man's through a wall, and everything goes wild again. We get one of those classic uh, Kill Six Billion Demon splash pages where literally every character is done in excruciating detail. <laughs> in the midst of a giant melee brawl, Allison has... You can see her tucked away in a corner, having struck what I'm sure she thinks is an effective defensive pose, but her wide-eyed stare says that she I am not prepared for this. <laughs> Though she does manage to summon up her resolve and punch a man's head off, she, <laughs> she is suitably impressed. <laughs> but then the angels show up to ruin everything as they want to do. Yeah, well, we, we catch back up on that race between uh, White Chain and... Uh, Juggernaut star. Juggernaut star. I mean, we know what Juggernaut star's uh, opinion of everything. Let's just burn it all. <laughs> mm -hmm. So Juggernaut star is just killing indiscriminately. White Chain is trying to say the prayer of forgive me for the violence I'm about to inflict. But before they can finish it, someone shoots an arrow at their head. And this incenses them so much they bloodily myrtleize this man. Mm -hmm. Feel very sad about it. This is another one of those subtle moments I really like because in a lot of ways, that kind of is White Chain dialing it from 11 to... Eh, they're still at 10. They're not quite at 9 <laughs> yet, but they're, they're calming down a little bit, funnily enough, by committing extreme violence. It's almost like that's the nature of the wheel. <laughs> the palace is beginning to fall out of the sky because uh, really the only reason it's floating is because of Modem's will, and she's currently despair event horizoning. So the entire palace is falling. White Chain does manage to link up with Allison and both White Chain covered in blood. So Allison says, what happened to you? And Allison, about 10 years younger. So White Chain says, what happened to you? <laughs> Yeah, um, the the fruit uh, that they had eaten, uh, it wears off over time. Yeah, that fruit wears off at such a ridiculously alarming rate that it's more of a novelty than anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it also speaks to the to the gluttony of uh, modem that, you know, she's doing this to have a supply of this stuff regularly. How many people got chucked into that tree? A lot. It's a like a lot. thousand a day, right? I We get a solid number. <laughs> yeah, it's really disturbing. For pure vanity, because even as a wrinkly old mummy, like, she still was powerful. So it's like, there's literally no reason. Your husband was a tree. Like, does, does the tree actually care about what you look like? <laughs> Honestly. I'm just saying, a thousand sacrifices a day, those are rookie numbers. You got to get it up to 10,000 so you can match tears with the god emperor of mankind. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we're, we're real just, 40K up in this. I'm just saying completely stepping back and looking at the situation for what it is. Your husband's a tree. Literally everyone fears you to the point where you project that automatically this person who has never even heard of you before, they must be afraid of me because everyone is. Well, who no. cares what you look like? What what she's pro projecting is you mu you must be afraid of me because everyone's afraid of everyone because the second I let a single crack form, everyone will come and take my power from me. 
Like that is her entire monologue is I cannot show any weakness because everyone will hate me and they will eat, tear me apart. The people who serve me will tear me apart because in all fairness, she got her power by killing the person above her. But the question, but the question is, is that an isolated incident? Was she, did she suffer such a betrayal by, you know, her husband that she's just like, well, everyone, the person I trusted the most betrayed me. So obviously everyone else around me. Is no, she didn't trust him. She was she was in a, a trinket and an object in his uh, treasure room. Yeah, I mean, obviously, but it's just like, but I don't, I don't see that as being fully solidified for me because it's just like, yes, the obvious what he felt about her. But up until that point, do we know of any others who mm. perhaps betrayed her? Because, I mean, it just seems like she had all this investment into him. And then regardless of how he felt, I mean, obviously he's a scumbag. It probably deserved to be turned into a tree. But uh -huh. like her feelings, was she 100 percent invested in him? He betrayed her because he's a scumbag. And then that just completely shattered her. Or were there bumps and bruises along the way and it was just like, this is the final straw and obviously everyone is against me, so I need to be on guard. It could be either way, but it could be. we're only we're only presented the one the one. Yeah, we're, we're only shown the one in a large part. The way that I read it is that she assumes the worst of everyone and like, again, tying her identity to Allison because they parallel each other so much. Allison felt that she couldn't be herself and have friends. That's the same mentality. And we don't know if there were people who abandoned Allison because of her nerdy interests or not. Maybe that happened. Maybe it didn't. But the point is that this is this is a gut reaction to something bad happening and not fixing the problem, painting it over with something that causes yourself unhappiness. and. You know, that's just he, not going to solve the issue for you. Wait, yeah, hold exactly. On. Jacob, Jacob, are you suggesting feeding countless women to my husband's corpse is not a solution instead of therapy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it. He's a tree, but you're still giving him what he wants. Exactly. Well, well yeah, Alberta, he, he is a tree who screams to her in her head. I need more wives. There's a. <laughs> There's a level of cosmic horror here. She also could have just said, screw you, you're dead. I've got the power, starve. As we established, she probably never tried to burn that tree. Yeah, which means she still harbors feelings for him, which is its own thing. Mm -hmm. But and what I mean well, I, is I think I'm leaning more towards the fact that she obviously felt deeper to him than he ever would have been capable of to anyone else. And because See, of that... And because of that stark betrayal, she just broke and became this. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and that, that's the thing. I think the feelings she still harbors to him are fear. That's owing to what Zost said. And basically what it comes down to is she is, in spite of having the power of a god, she is willingly choosing to be a, the slave of a dead man. Yeah, she's a disgrace. Yep. Exactly. 100% is a disgrace. <laughs> To disgrace, not even as God, just as a person, as a person. And again, she and Allison are parallel to each other. The difference is that Allison recognizes that this is stupid. I'm not going to be that anymore. 
Yep. Which, uh, unfortunately for Allison, uh, at this point, she also comes to that kind of mini realization. Uh, as she breaks out of her fugue state, realizes the one thing she really wants to do right now is kill Allison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, first we have a brief fight between uh, Auntie Maya and Juggernaut Star. And now Juggernaut Star has been cut in half. All right, moving on. <laughs> Auntie Maya is clearly our Obi-Wan because, like, we've established how powerful Juggernaut Star is. Auntie Maya, in the previous melee, there was that ring around her that wasn't gore and viscera so with the yep. the, tra the training montage that co wanted allison to have is i assume coming up <laughs> <laughs> the sanctioned action is to cut and so maya splits juggernaut star in half and also a good portion of the entire like structure in front of her and juggernaut star explodes because reminder that the uh angels are a flame trapped inside of a stone containment unit you kill them and they explode because they are bombs which fortunately gives them a uh, a very convenient door so uh allison and white chain are fleeing uh white chain's like wait stop why the palace stopped falling and that's when modem appears in a huge explosion of vines and thorns and roses rising out of the ground like all right now you die we also have the establishment of just how powerful angels are and modem just throws white chain to the side without even moving this is the one time that we see modem actually being a bearer of the key of kings because after all it was the previous holder of allison's key that killed the prime angels so power power scaling uh established and so because she doesn't want to kill allison quite yet she impales her through all of the limbs <laughs> with vines of thorns it's freaking disgusting well because as we've established with allison she's not gonna listen to pity party exposition dumps so she needs to be tied down so you can hear my <laughs> monologue that is not even consistent within the same sentence she is mm -hmm. asking for things that are impossible with each other like she is snapped exactly she wants to live forever whilst simultaneously dying so her suffering can stop <laughs> like but you'll become me and then i will live forever and it's like none of your ideas are consistent with each other <laughs> yep as allison she does manage to break out of the bindings and is crawling away bleeding and crying this whole thing is really sad but thankfully uh, to save the day and the tone, uh, as Modem is in the middle of her villain speech, who should appear but Sio? None such thing, the fetid lumpen blossom. I love Sio so much. <laughs> Modem's like in the middle of casting a spell that gets interrupted with paper dolls, and then she gets covered <laughs> in paper dolls, and that is enough to momentarily stall her, making Sio canonically stronger than White Chain confirmed. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. No, my favorite part is just the look on Modem's face like, are you kidding me? This is what's stopping me. <laughs> it's relatively obvious that Modem could like force break out of it, but it's like, you literally tried this? Is this really happening right now? 
<laughs> like the, the sheer disbelief uh you know and i mean like that kind of goes to like her whole god complex you know it's like you're a literal god and you're not acting like one but expect to be treated like one like the, you know it all circles back like a wheel to the same you know the same like mental disconnect that she has mm -hmm. and just the look on her face of like seriously <laughs> And it's here where we learn that while Sio is holding Modem down, uh, Nav has apparently stolen a uh, airship, and Princess is here for some reason. You can see her scrabbling about, being a little gremlin in the background. Everyone uh, in our main character party gets onto the airship, and Modem's like, "All right, no, I'm just gonna kill you now. You, you're a quivering mess. You're so terrified you can barely talk." And Allison's like, "Yeah, you're right." But you know what, Ben? At least I'm trying. God, I love that line. You're mm -hmm. stalling. So are you. If you think you're so powerful, kill me. You self-pitying turbo bitch. Kill me. God, that's that's another such a great moment for all of the like character, like affirming stuff that Allison has gone through, because like, you know, she is she's really found herself. She's still also currently a human being with a power she can't control up against a literal god. Of course she's a quivering, terrified mess. Who wouldn't be? <laughs> but she recognizes the truth that because Modem wants completely contradictory things, because Modem is an even bigger mess, the, you know, the difference is Allison is trying and Modem isn't, Allison knows that Modem isn't going to finish her off, so I'm just going to leave now. Bye! <laughs> because if Modem kills her, Modem has to take the Key of Kings from her, which instantly puts her on the chopping block of every other Demiurge. <laughs> and in Modem's moment of hesitation, Allison steals her resolve and uses the key to teleport the entire airship out of there with all of her friends on board. Friends, allies. Vague acquaintances that have tried to kill her in the past, you know. People wrapped up in the absolute whirlwind of chaos her life has become. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, you don't you don't ask a Key of Kings to teleport you somewhere you command it to for you are a for you are a king. And we end our reading with Allison waking up some days later, still completely <laughs> up, but, you know, recovering a bit. Uh, CO berates her for her recklessness and Allison says, yeah, well, you better get used to it because I'm gonna do it again. Where's the next boss inside the infinite vault of Ure, Horde of the Dragon, Lord Mammon. Look, I'm just wondering why this team of girls is now going to planet Yuri. That's a dumb <laughs> joke. It's an old joke, but I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jay. Your approval well, means everything. <laughs> well, it's happened. We've killed Sam. You're right. <laughs> uh, anyway. And so our lesbian pirate combine gets on their merry way, and we've reached the end of our reading. <laughs> More accurate than I realized. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this brings us to the conclusion of our reading favorite characters as always a uh, 
uh, ubiquitous question here on the podcast. I said it once. I'll say it again. Uh, of characters who regularly appear on screen and do things, Zoss is my favorite. He's like Gandalf and All Might and Lord Vader combined. And I, I love him for all of that. While at the same time spouting Master Miyagi nonsense. <laughs> Uh, for off-screen characters, uh, Aizma will always be my favorite, but we're not talking about the things in the liturgy. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> go read Aizma and the Red Eye King in the it, it appears in the liturgy of book two. It's really good. Uh, Aizma gets married. It's great. I'll go next. Um, Jacob here. Gosh, like the thing is, I loved pretty much all of the characters top down, like from the main characters to uh, even like a lot of the supporting characters. The standout is definitely Allison. God, I love, I love the way that she parallels Modem. She's going through a ridiculous experience that she's not prepared for, but she like not necessarily like consciously like she's doing it on purpose but she uses this experience dealing with this psychotic broken god to learn something about herself and make herself be better and like i aspire to that at such a deep level i want to be like that which also comes to uh, White Chains is in very much the same boat it wasn't until we were really you know digging into this that i that sort of like crystallized in my mind, but like uh, the parallels between White Chain and Allison are freaking spectacular. I think that uh, Sio was used a lot better in this uh, book than uh, in book one. Uh, man, Modem, what a villain. Like, I don't think it's necessarily universal, but a villain that directly parallels your hero and is in many ways a dark reflection of your hero is such a good way of making a memorable and really engaging villain. Allison is definitely number one, but like um, White Chain and Modem are like really close two and three for me. Just like the characters in this section were just so well done. All right. Uh, Jay, I know that last time you didn't like this comic very much. Uh, in this latest reading. My favorite characters, I would have to say, are Sio because she helped bring some comedic relief and helped be, I, I want to say, uh, a second party to what Allison was experiencing. Allison was my favorite character because I, again, resonated with her of all this, you know, all this crap that she has to deal with just to, you know, achieve her objective. Um, so those two would be my favorite characters, um, but I have to stand by my previous assessment of, like, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, just because I would prefer the division of, you know, world building, lore building to be separate from the protagonist's journey, or at least sprinkled in more so than huge chunk of lore, and then you're, like, completely getting lost with okay so what is actually relevant to what i need to mm. take along with the protagonist it, it's just very heavy for somebody mm. who's not accustomed to that and i, I completely accept that that's something that is something i would have to be accustomed to but it's just like to be assaulted with it again like mm -hmm. it, it's just it's very heavy to take on yeah it's yeah. a matter of preference uh and matt uh well i feel kind of bad stepping on toes but then jacob listed all the characters so i feel less bad um, <laughs> no uh um i'm you everyone who listens to the show should know i'm a sucker for a good 
villain um so modem is great in this and like other people listed allison as their favorite and like allison is only a second because modem's such a good villain like allison's character development is in contrast to modem well no she also gets a drinking contest i suppose that's selling her a little short but like modem is top tier like Mm -hmm. and it's it's so succinct too i love that it's not meandering about for half the book it's every time she's on screen you are getting like steps along the path which was a criticism i had about book one was i'm like what are any of these characters doing they're just lucking into situations one after another which arguably allison does still luck into situations that's definitely not gone but like everything with modem was at least a solid line you could tell where it began you could follow the path and i really enjoyed that and actually, I think that uh, transitions really nicely into and uh, Jay's already uh, mentioned to uh, an extent her view on the subject. But the uh, another discussion question we had is um, comparing what the issues were with um, book one with book two. And like there's a couple of things I really wanted to uh, call out in book two. And like this is this is such a hilarious thing to me. The art got downgraded. It was less detailed this time. Good. Thank you. <laughs> they, the the detail that this story is known for was used in the correct moments in big epic splash pages. It wasn't oh, in... Jake, it's like, Jacob, did you like, notice uh, the, the crowd shot where they actually just had like a crowd of blobs together to represent <laughs> people? Not... <laughs> individually characterized people but like, <laughs> but like yeah. at a deeper but at a deeper level and this is the thing that i i really noticed the most solid solidly when it comes to um like the visual density because it's like there's there's the element of the deep lore is front loaded if it's your thing then read the story if it's not it's not gonna be your cup of tea and like we mentioned that like For all of the issues that that has narratively, that's a good thing to do so that you don't sucker someone into reading something they don't like. So there's that aspect. And I do think that Sia was a better like translator for the crazy in this than she was in the first part. Um, Like her, her Sioisms were a little bit easier to parse, but like from a uh, visual density perspective, the thing that I noticed is Sio's face was less detailed and it made it easier to understand to read her emotions like there were a lot of cases where i didn't really connect with co as much as i know i should have because like the line work was so intricate and then like the line work of the background behind her head was so intricate it started to all blend together as a soup and it's like it's so well drawn to the point where it's literally too well drawn and you know the 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 negative space and the uh, contrast was better utilized here so that it wasn't just a wall of color unless you go in and parse out individual details so that you can just read it like a comic book instead of it being an art piece in a museum. (laughs) And then, of course, there were also the cases where, like, you had that big fight scene where uh, the big ballroom blitz happens and it was that detailed and it was great because I wanted to stop on that page and parse out all of the individual details that were done in an excruciating detail. And, and see all the various martial arts moves and gunshots and 
uh, great blasts of magic and just everything. And like every background character is a fully designed, fully realized character. Like that element of Kill Six Billion Demons was actually used in a way that elevated the story instead of it being used everywhere, which basically muddied the water. So we have Jake's opinion in that regard. Um, and Jay gave hers. Though if you have any more to say, uh, by all means, chime in. But uh, Matt, I'm curious to hear what you think. Was the story and world a bit easier to digest this go around? Because at the very least, it started following like individuals. And when they would have a plot line, it would be allowed to like go through to a story beat. Whereas in the first bit, we got a lot of like intersection, intersecting like plots and like everyone had their own motivations and stuff. And that's really cool. But normally a story does that when you've already been moderately established to the characters. But we are getting thrown into that in the first bit. This bit, we know who the characters are. They have their motivations. And it it really does. The ones they introduce have very two dimensional motivations. And that's great. Like, you instantly know who Juggernaut is within, like, a mm. sentence. And that's all you need to know. And that's fine. Like, and, like, characters are better about explaining themselves to a point you can at least get, like, caricature of them. Just so it's easier to, like, parse along their story. I mean, in all fairness, it still did take us about halfway through book two to get to that point. So, uh, but it, it's it's gotten better. For, uh, and, better, better, is a, better is a loaded term. Well, it yeah, has gotten I, I, more agreeable yeah, to me. Yeah, and that's why it's like, if I were reading this organically, it's taking me how many books to even really feel like I'm getting at a good pace. Oh, no, no, Jay. I'll, I told you uh, last episode when I start read Kill Six Billion Demons for the first time, I made it about 10 pages before I just gave up. Like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not friendly to those people who do not prefer that style it doesn't like say don't worry we understand like this is a heavy load and we'll make it more it, it it's it, for like, me it's a it's a pretty heavy slog and yeah, I like would i not had find to, it enjoyable i had to double check that page one wasn't the beginning of it like oh maybe there's a prequel i was supposed to read uh, um that's actually <laughs> kind of similar to the sentiment that i had with uh, chainsaw man in a lot of ways um and again uh, it I think I think the sort of interesting thing, because like you mentioned, Matt, that like because this is a series that loves its deep lore and there are people who like it and there are people that don't, um, it doesn't hide that fact. And to me, in a lot of ways, like the um, like intersecting characters that like it's it's crazy and everyone's running in different directions Um because I like the deep lore stuff and because I like the this style of storytelling, you know, and I assume this is the same for Sam. Um, it's very much the case where and this was also a sentiment that was uh, mentioned by a couple of people in book one. You're in the position of Allison being thrown sideways into insanity and like over the course of book one and then finally about halfway through book two. She starts to get her feet under her and there's a sort of organic element to that. But if it's not your cup of tea, you're not going to get that far. It, it is true what Jake said. This sort of diving very deep into an intricate world with a whole lot of weird metaphors and uh, crazy metaphysics. That is absolutely my jam. I know it's not everybody's and I respect that. 
Uh, I offer no judgment. All I know is that I think this is really cool. And thank you all for joining me and <laughs> showing you this. Uh, if we Delving ever the insanity. Yeah. If we ever come back to kill six billion demons, then uh, we will go into book three, which is I believe the subtitle is Seeker of Thrones. Yes, that's it. Yes. But uh, uh, that is not what we're doing next time. Next time we are delving into something, something completely different. We finally left our ill-named revisit month and we're going into Eden Zero chapters one through 28. So tune in next Thursday for that to be uh, what we are reading. If you want to join us, then again, that's Eden Zero chapters one through 28. Make sure to follow us on all of the social medias where we are at over Cast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, leave us a comment on YouTube. Leave us a comment on YouTube. We read all of them. They are very insightful. Most of the time. <laughs> most <laughs> of the time. At us on Twitter, yes. I do it all the time in order to uh, suggest things to Matt. <laughs> yep. And uh, hey, if uh, any of you have suggestions about something you'd love, like us to read up, uh, reach out. Uh, I might just ignore you or I might not. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we maintain our rights to our own bad opinions. Whether or not we'll accept yours, well, you'll have to wait and see. See you next week, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.